Thank you, Neville. We really appreciate your help this evening. Uh, Let us turn in the Word of God to Romans chapter 5 once again. Our text is found in the verses 18 through to 19, mainly verse 19. Good to read verse 18 as well, just to get the the full context, what Paul is saying. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God as we consider it and examine it tonight. We pray for the enlightenment that only your spirit can bring. That while the words may enlighten the mind to some degree, only the spirit can truly take away the darkness. Only the spirit can take away the hardness of the heart. Only the spirit can make a person live in their souls. And so we pray for the power of the spirit, for the dynamic of his energy to be experienced tonight, personally and individually, throughout this meeting. We hand this meeting over to you. We pray that your will will be done. For Christ's sake, amen and amen. The doctrine of justification lies at the heart of the the gospel It lies at the heart of the gospel because only justification can deal with the guilt problem. And that's the one big issue that affects every man, every woman. We are guilty before God, guilty of breaking His law, guilty of transgressing His precepts. And to be guilty is to be deserving of punishment. And whenever we are justified, we are transformed. We are put in a place where the guilt has been removed. And the removal of this guilt can only take place when we put our faith in Christ. And so, while justification lies at the heart of the gospel, we must always say that it is justification by faith alone that lies at the heart of the gospel. We cannot be justified by the works that we do. We can only be justified through putting our faith in Jesus Christ alone. That is the only way. Works will never suffice. Even a situation where we cling on to our works plus our faith, that will never do. It is faith alone, because Christ alone saves. Now, whenever we think of the removal of the guilt and the removal of the guilt through faith, we think of pardon and forgiveness. And it is true that justification does involve being pardoned and being forgiven. And that is a a very remarkable thing, that, that God forgives the sinner. Forgiveness is a thing that many people naturally struggle with. It's something that many find very hard to do, to forgive 
a perpetrator or forgive someone that has done them great harm. And in many respects, forgiveness is well nigh impossible here in this world because there needs to be repentance and there needs to be the acknowledgement of wrong on the part of the one that has done wrong. And so forgiveness can never ever be a a one-way street. But then we come to God and God forgives us. And of course, the people whom he forgives are a repentant people. We turn from our sin, but yet he forgives us, not in the strength of our repentance, but he forgives us out of the fullness of his heart of love. And whenever he forgives, he pardons. The Bible actually says that that God, he puts our sins so far away, they are driven out of sight completely. In Micah 7, verse 19, we read that God will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and he will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. That's what God does for the sinner, and that's what God can do for you tonight. You're not saved. You have to acknowledge your sin. God can put all of your sins into the depths of the sea. Now, we are told that in the Western Pacific, there is a depression called the Challenger Deep. And in the midst of that depression, there is a trench, and it is almost 36,000 feet in depth. Now, that's very deep. Whenever God says he puts our sins into the depths of the sea, now that's a place of total darkness. That's a place where nobody can ever go, where nobody can ever explore. The technology doesn't exist for people to go down there. And God puts our sins so far, far away, they'll never be found again. That's what it means to be pardoned and forgiven by God. But yet, forgiveness and pardon is a very negative thing. It's an important negative thing. It's a negative thing that is actually really positive. But it's negative in that God puts all our sins away. He drives them away. He forgives them. But mere pardon is is not enough. It's not enough to justify us. It's part of justification, but it doesn't complete the work of justification. If a person commits a terrible crime in society, and that person is pardoned. A person will walk free from prison. A person is free to roam the streets. That person is free to work. They're pardoned. But that person still has a criminal record. That person has still committed crimes. There was still a time in that person's life when they did those horrible things. So while the law pardons, the law cannot make the person righteous. That cannot happen in this world. But for us to enter heaven and for us to be accepted by God, God must not only pardon us and forgive us, He must put us into a place where we are made righteous. And it's only when we are made righteous righteous, that we are truly justified. As I was taught as a child, justification means just as if I never sinned. 
The work is so complete. God puts his people into a place where, in the eyes of his law, a person has never sinned. They're made righteous. Now, justification affects our legal standing before God. Of course, we still have sin in our hearts. We have to ask God every day for forgiveness. The Christian experiences that. And that's what sanctification is all about. Asking God for forgiveness, turning from our sins, learning to be more like Christ. That's dealing with our sinful natures. Justification doesn't deal with our sinful natures, but it deals with our legal standing before God. And you see, that legal standing before God must be made right. It must be rectified if we are to be the adopted children of God. And dear friend, tonight, if you're without Christ, you see, you may try and try and try to be a Christian, and it'll fail because you're working on this old nature. And the Lord said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. It'll never be anything else but flesh. Dress it up. Put a suit on it. Make a good living. It'll still be flesh. It'll still be sin. Only the righteousness of Christ given to the sinner can make us right in the sight of God. And so this is what we're going to look at tonight, this doctrine of justification and how the sinner is made righteous. Let's first of all think about the righteousness of Christ prepared. God prepares a righteousness to give to his people. Now, this righteousness is that which pertains to his Son, Jesus Christ. We sang the hymn earlier, written by Robert Murray McShane, a young preacher, died 28 years of age. He used the words, Jehovah said, can you? Taken straight from the Hebrew Scriptures, the word said, can you, is actually a Hebrew word. He transliterated that word. Didn't translate it, transliterated it, wrote it down exactly as it was in the Hebrew, taking letter for letter. And Jehovah said, can you, means the Lord our righteousness. You'll find that in the book of Jeremiah. God becomes our righteousness. And this righteousness that God gives to us, that God has prepared for us, is the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. Let me introduce you to a very important word where the gospel is concerned. It's the word vicarious. The word vicarious means someone who does something instead of another. Someone who acts for you, who does a work for you. In order that we might have God's righteousness, Christ came into the world. And he came into the world as a man. That was really important. We must have the righteousness of one who is like us, who is a man. For God to prepare that righteousness, Jesus Christ became a man. That we might have that righteousness that God had prepared for us. So the Son of God who dwelt from all eternity in the bosom of the Father, in the courts of the angels, he became wedded forever to human flesh. He became a man. He became a man, first of all, in his humiliation. 
conceived in the moment of the Virgin Mary without sin, living a life without sin, but humbling himself and facing the deprivations of this world, feeling hunger, experiencing pain, experiencing rejection, rubbing shoulders with sinners. The Lord humbled himself. But through all of that, even as Judge Pilate had to say, I find no fault in this man, because he was faultless and he was flawless. And while he would go to the cross, and while the cross is a pivotal part of this righteousness, his life also was important, because during those 33 years, he kept God's law for us. We break that law. We break it in our actions. We break it with our words. We break it with our hands and our feet, and we break it with our eyes, and we break it with our ears. We break it with our tongues. We break it with our very thoughts, with our attitudes, with our aspirations, with our goals. Every day we break God's law. We smash it into pieces, and we are guilty of breaking that law. But Christ, throughout all of his life, was flawless. His mind, his heart, his thinking, the perfect man. And he kept God's law for us. We have broken that law. Day and daily we break it, but day and daily he kept it. He kept it on our account. He did it for us. He made himself subject to the law. And he kept that law with precision because he was perfect. He was impeccable. That means it was impossible for him to sin. He could not sin. He would not sin because it was against his nature to sin. And he succeeded where Adam failed. We're told here in verse 17 of Romans 5, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one. Death came into the world because of one man's offense. Verse 19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners. We've all been made sinners by one man's disobedience, by Adam's disobedience. But Christ rectified what Adam had done. He came, and he kept the law, and he did everything that his father told him to do the blameless Son of God. But then we come to the cross because its humiliation took him to Calvary and to that despicable form of torture and of execution known as crucifixion. Never had any civilization contrived of anything more cruel in the history of the world before in our sense than that which the Romans had accomplished when they crucified their victims and the Son of God in all his perfection, they crucified him. But it wasn't just about the pain and the suffering that the physical man bore. That was terrible. It was about the spiritual suffering. It was about the, the soul of Christ and the sufferings of his soul. We get to the very soul of his suffering. The sufferings of his heart, we get to the very heart of his suffering as he became legally guilty of our sin, not morally guilty. He did not commit the sin, but in a legal sense, he became guilty of our sin. And therefore, we are told in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, 
For God hath made him, that is Christ, God hath made Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him, that we might be made righteous. There had to be one who as a perfect sacrifice would take the curse of God for us. And he took it all. My sins, every last one of them, was nailed with Christ to that tree. Truly we can say, man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. The righteousness of God was prepared in the body of Christ. Our sin was transferred to Christ in order that his righteousness might be transferred to us. And now we come to the imputation of this righteousness, the righteousness of Christ imputed. The word impute is a very important word where justification is concerned. We have it over and over again in Romans chapter 4. And just flick back in your scriptures there to Romans chapter 4. Paul quotes from David. David wrote in the Psalm 32, Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. So God imputes this righteousness he does it without works. It's not about works, it's about faith. In verse 8, blessed is the man, happy is the man, to whom the Lord will not impute sin. And then he goes on to talk about Abraham. And you will notice there in verse 22, it says, and therefore it was imputed to him, to Abraham, for righteousness. But it was all about Abraham's faith. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and it was imputed to him for righteousness. So what does this word impute mean? It means quite literally to charge to the account of another. That's what it means. It's a mathematical term. It's a term from which we can see the word logic, and maths is all about logic. And you have the idea here that we are bankrupt. We owe God a debt that we could not possibly pay. And that debt is perfection. That debt, debt is the keeping of the law. We are his creatures. We're accountable to him. That's the burden that you have, dear unsafe friend, tonight. You're trying to work up this righteousness to gain favor with God. It'll never work because you're constantly in God's debt, and it's a debt you can't pay. You'll never pay it. But then we have the transfer of this righteousness to the bankrupt sinner's account, and that's imputation. It's the gift. It's like somebody giving a bankrupt man he owes millions, transferring the millions right there into his account, changing him completely and absolutely forever, changing his life forever, an act of grace, an act of kindness, an act of love. That's exactly what imputation is. It is having the righteousness of God transferred to your bankrupt account, making you right in God's sight. 
paying the debt in full. Jesus paid that debt on the cross. And on account of that, because the debt is paid, you can have his righteousness. God is satisfied. But our text is very interesting on this account. Our text in Romans 5 and 19 doesn't use the word impute. It uses the word made. By the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. The word made, it means to be legally constituted. We all have a standing. We're citizens of a nation. We're citizens of this nation because we were born into this nation. We're entitled to a passport. We're entitled to travel in the name of the nation. And we're afforded the protection of the nation because we're citizens. And that's something that's, that's irreversible. You cannot take a person's nationhood away. The young girl who is currently in a camp in Syria who has been denied her British citizenship, apparently the reason why the Home Secretary was able to deny and remove that citizenship was because before she was 21, she had a Bangladeshi citizenship. And because she had a dual citizenship, the Home Secretary was able to take away her British citizenship. But if she didn't have that Bangladeshi citizenship before the age of 21, the Home Secretary could not have taken away her British citizenship. Even in this world, there's something very important, very valuable, something virtually irreversible about a person's citizenship how we're constituted under a law. And we regard it as a very precious thing in the natural world. Now, think of that where the gospel is concerned. Through the obedience of Christ, God constitutes us righteous. We're made righteous. It's a decree that has passed in the courts of heaven. By the greatest judge of all, those people are righteous in my sight. We're made righteous. I think the words of verse 21 in Romans 5 are also very helpful. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. You think of nationhood and citizenship and how we're constituted. You see, if you're not saved tonight, Sin is reigning in your life, and the reign of sin is one of death. It's a dark reign. And you see it all around us. This godless world and godless society, how death reigns, cruelty reigns. Because sin reigns. But when we are saved and justified, suddenly grace reigns through righteousness unto eternal life. The reign of grace Whenever God justifies you, He puts you under grace. And that's life. And that's eternal life. And that's what it is to have the righteousness of Christ imputed to you. Let's move on and look at the righteousness of Christ illustrated. I've just one biblical illustration to bring before you. It's found in the book of Isaiah, actually. Isaiah chapter 61, and the verse number 10, if you want to look it up.
And there we read, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. Whenever God saves us and justifies us, he clothes us with these garments. Garments of salvation, a robe of righteousness. The wedding garment of a bride, the most joyful experience of any woman's life outside of God's salvation, to have that wedding garment, something very precious. Whenever God justifies us, he gives his people a wedding garment. You see, we're told that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. All of the good things we do, they're just filth. The very best that we can contrive is just filth. It's just rags. But God replaces those rags with the beautiful, resplendent robe of his dear son. And you think of this robe. Christ spent 33 years weaving that robe with a spotless life. And then by shedding his precious blood on the cross, he paid the price for that robe. And that's the resplendent illustration of what it means to be justified. Have you the robe tonight? Have you the wedding garment on? But let's move on and think of the assurance, the righteousness of Christ assured. What does this doctrine mean to us tonight? Well, it means that all believers are justified equally. There are so many parts of our spiritual experience that are not equal. For example, our faith is not equal. A little faith is enough to save, just a little faith. The most important thing isn't the greatness or the vastness of your faith, but whether you have faith or not, that's the important thing. But some people have more faith than others. But just a little faith saves. That's the encouraging thing. Our sanctification as Christians is not equal. Some are nearer Christ than others. Our prayer lives are not equal. Some pray more than others. Our knowledge of the Scripture is not equal. Some know more of God's Word than others. But this is not so with justification. Justification must be perfect and complete in every believer's life in order for us to be prepared for heaven. The child who has just come to faith as a little one is justified to the same degree as the person saved for a lifetime. The person that has come to Christ after living a life of squalor in the sins of this world, when that person is saved, they're justified just the same as someone that has lived a clean life, a respectable life before coming to the Savior. We all must receive the same degree of justification. We're all justified equally. And dear sinner friend, you come to Christ tonight, and you will know, and you will be sure of this, that you will be perfectly justified in the sight of God, because Christ said, him that cometh to me I will never cast out. And because God does this work perfectly, because his law and God's courts, they pass our reversible judgments. There are no miscarriages of justice in his court. 
Whenever he declares that a certain person is justified, he's not going to go back on that. Thomas Watson, one of the old Puritans, he said, we cannot be a Peter today and a Judas tomorrow. We cannot be members of Christ's body today and Satan's body tomorrow. We may lose our love for Christ to some degree. We may lose the power and the infilling of the Spirit. But we cannot lose our justification. It is a permanent and fixed thing. Just as there is nothing within us that could ever merit our justification, so there is no sin that can cause us to lose our justification. We are therefore able to face the accuser. The devil, he does accuse God's people. And he's the great tempter, but he's also the great accuser. And sometimes he loves to bring up the past sins. He loves to bring up the things we've done wrong, things we could have done better. And he loves to hurl them at us in order to distress us. And over in the book of Zechariah, chapter 3, and the verse 1, we have a man called Joshua. He's the high priest of Israel. And Satan is standing there to resist him. And he had filthy garments on, and he stands before the angel of the Lord. And the filthy garments are taken away from him, and he's given a change of raiment. And he's made right in God's sight. The devil is dumbfounded, and he's put away. You see, this justification is the answer to Satan. It's the answer to sin. No one can condemn the child of God because we are justified. Justification is what you need tonight. It's what you need. And how can you know that you're justified? You need to put your faith in Christ alone. You need to turn from your sin. There's no such thing in the economy of God of a person who says, I'm justified by God's grace, therefore I live as I like, and I can live like the devil. That person is not justified. Because there's no conscience, there's no conviction, there's no repentance. Repentance is part of conversion, it flows. But dear sinner, tonight, you need to be justified in the sight of God. One day you'll stand before God. Only those that have the wedding garment on are prepared to meet God. And that appointment is coming. And it's coming for us all very quickly. One day the sand will have run through the hard glass. One day time will have gone. And we'll be standing before God. And we need to be right in the eyes of his law. Are you prepared? I pray that tonight you will trust Christ, that you will come under this reign of grace. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this great truth, this great lesson, justification, faith in Christ alone, Christ who died for us, who offered himself for us, what God gives to us, the righteousness of his Son, made guiltless before the law. What wonderful mysteries of grace. What treasures. For those that don't know thee tonight, may there be the grace to come to thee. Find new life in thee. Bless us as we sing this closing hymn for Christ's sake. Amen.